0: It is week nine of the 2023 college football season. This is the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the VSN Collegiate Network. I'm Kelly Ford and with me as always is my friend and co-host Zach King. Kinger, how are we doing this week?
1: I'm doing great, Kelly. Coming off an absolutely wonderful weekend in your home state of Indiana. Spent time in beautiful Fort Wayne, as you know. It was an awesome wedding on Saturday. Good to see our friends. But it was a great slate of college football, man. I I told you I was going to get there early. I was posted up in the local Fort Wayne bar. Just after 12, you'd be a little disappointed I was a few minutes late. But we got there, got to watch most of the early slate, including that Penn State-Ohio State game, which I know you were all over. Unfortunately, I have to admit, it was a little bit of a stinker. A lot of punts. You might not feel the same way, but definitely not the most attractive game. And I'll just end this. I hate Ohio State, Kelly. I really do. (laughs)
0: Well, Zach, I take exception to so many things that you just said right there, least of which being the Ohio State comment. I'll let it ride. I expect that one. But hey, man, I'm more than a little disappointed in you, King, for missing kickoff of that one. We don't even have to rehash how I feel about you going to the wedding. Hey, good for you. You're a better friend than I am to our buddy, Austin. Best of luck to him, his wife, the marriage, all that stuff. Sorry I couldn't be there, but hey, I make it pretty clear. There's how many Saturdays in a week or in a year? 52? I've blocked out like 15 in the fall. That's it. Any other Saturday, and I'm there, but we couldn't do it. Uh, Zach, it was a fun week of college football. Listen, you say it was a little bit of a stinker, Ohio State, Penn State, a game that I had really hyped up. I mean, it was 9.9 out of 10 in my watchability. You know, the Big Ten East lead on the line, You know, a, a leg up in the college football playoff on the line. Was it the cleanest game? No, but we knew going in the defenses were going to dominate, and they did. You said it, Zach. I'm I'm a bigger defensive fan than I think most out there, so I I appreciate it. I think it was great, and hey, my team won, so no complaints on that side. But it was a fun week of college football. King, we've got another fun week here. A couple really big matchups that I know we're going to dive into. Maybe one or two off-the-radar games. A little bit we're going to talk about as well. And as always, it's not just us. We have a guest with us, as we always do. Zach, I feel like I've said this a lot this year, and I genuinely mean it. I'm really excited to have this guest with us. He's someone who I've gotten to know pretty well through, through Twitter or through X now. Uh, we've hung out a couple times in person at various events, some of which he's organized, actually one of which I did taking a great idea that he had, which we can get into. I am talking, of course, about Eric Eager. He is the VP over at Sumer Sports right now. And King, to be honest, he's one of the leaders, one of the the people at the forefront of the analytics, I don't want to call it a revolution, but the analytics movement in football. He is a very well-known, prominent figure in sports analytics, football analytics, and I'm excited to have him joining us. Eric, welcome to the show, man.
2: Hey, things are... uh... (laughs) It's it's fun to talk college football. I haven't really gotten to talk college football, uh, you know, since making the move over to Sumer. And so um, I'm excited to sort of dive in a little bit. And and it's a, a pleasure to to talk to you guys today.
0: Absolutely, Eric. Yes, we are thrilled to have you. And of course, uh, Zach and I do know that uh, the majority of your work over at Sumer, you are dealing in the NFL. And you're doing a lot of cool projects over at Sumer as it relates to to football analytics and, and specifically with regard to the NFL I know a little bit about your background. Zach knows a little bit about your background, Eric. But for all the listeners who may not know, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you get started in this space? What made you interested in it? What is your what's your current day to day like now at Sumer? Really, anything and everything that you're willing to share, we we'd love to hear it. So the floor is yours.
2: Oh yeah, it, thank you. I, it, it's um it's crazy, kind of like you know we all have these very interesting paths, right? Where um you know when people ask like, Hey, you know, where, you know, kind of, how can I end up with your career? I'm like, well, not the way that I want, you know, not the way that, uh, that I did it. Um, I, you know, was a high school football player played wide receiver in Minnesota, you know, Minnesota um, played college football at Minnesota state, which is uh, near Fargo. It's in Moorhead, Minnesota. I played tight end uh, for the majority of that time. And then, uh, it, it was funny. That it was like a brief, like six months to a year of my life where uh, maybe just because I played too much or whatever, but I, I didn't like football that much anymore. And so I went to grad school in mathematics. Uh, I got a PhD in in, uh, in applied math, uh, and, and I studied um, you know uh, epidemiology, which is funny considering I left that field right before COVID. And then uh, I studied like gene regulatory networks and all that kind of stuff uh using math and then about halfway through my my career as a professor um i had always assumed that you know you know being a fan of moneyball and being a baseball fan a basketball fan and seeing some of like kind of the the revolution in those sports with data i figured you know and i was always a fan of pro football focus from afar but i always figured they had like done a lot of this work and so um when there was a job ad to come up and like you know, write for the website and collect data. I'm like, okay, this will be cool. I'm, I, I at least want to get my foot in the door. I was a little bit bored with being a professor still. And so I get in there and there's not really much that has, had been done in the way of analytics. Like they had collected a ton of data, but really hadn't done anything with it. And so uh, I started, you know, kind of building models, you know, both on the consumer side. So things like fantasy projections and betting stuff, Uh, and then also on the B2B side, so stuff for teams like wins above replacement. And then eventually they put me in charge, uh, of analytics. And that's when, you know, I was able to hire the great people like, you know, Taze Seth and Ben Brown and Timo Risky and Kevin Cole and guys like that, where, uh, I really got to surround myself with, with greatness as far as that's concerned. And then about 13 months ago, uh, I was approached by Thomas Dimitrov, who's a good friend of mine, uh, somebody who I've worked with while he was the GM of the Falcons. And they were, you know, working on this new startup called Sumer. Um, and that's, you know, it was it was intriguing for me because I think PFF, you know, had had reached kind of like a, a point of maturity where I loved being kind of involved in everything. And, and PFF had become so big that it was going to be difficult for me to do that. And so going back to like the startup where, you know, some days I'm I'm working on a podcast with Thomas. Other days I'm building, you know, fantasy projections or, or managing people and building up their careers. And so, it, to me, it's just like a really fun. It's been a really fun road, and I think that the, the the space, as you guys know, is still small enough where I think that individual people can still make pretty big contributions. And and, and I, you know, it makes me excited for the future because now you know we all know people who have an opportunity in football that. Wouldn't have an opportunity in football if it wasn't, wasn't for analytics and just to even be a small part of that is pretty
0: fun. That is awesome, Eric. And yes, you mentioned Tage Seth. Tage has been a guest on the podcast, someone you didn't mention, but now work with over at Sumer, Parker Fleming, Stats of War. King, if I'm not mistaken, he still was our first and still only, I think, two-time guest on the podcast. So we're very familiar with some of the folks you've got over there at Sumer. I know, uh, to be honest, King is the bigger NFL fan between me and him, Eric. So I'm sure he's got some NFL-related questions. Before I kick it to him, what has been your I appreciate the the background and kind of your path it's, it's very interesting and as you mentioned everyone has their own what has been your favorite project if you could pick just one project favorite project that you've done it could be at your pff days or it could be at your Sumer days now what's the favorite what's your favorite thing that you've done in the analytics space since formally joining the field at leaving the the professor position and, and transitioning into the analytics profession
2: yeah I, it's still always your first one like and this is kind of like circled you know why where i am where i am but like i you know built winds above replacement while i was still a I started building winds above replacement while i was still a professor but then like it was probably the first like week or two on the job um one of my friends you know who's a friend now he no longer works with the falcons um but he was like hey can you give me such so-and-so's war and i was like oh yeah sure like And a lot of times, you know, I think that people ask questions of analytics folks from the outside just to either get a gauge of whether or not their internals are right or in a lot of cases, especially when we were starting out to essentially test whether or not PFF knew what they were doing. And what was really funny was I I send in my answer and then about a week, uh, three days later, four days later on Twitter, I see that the player got a contract extension. I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, like how how much of an influence did I have on this person, like making generational money? And, and you know, there have been other, you know, that was a, a favorite of mine. And then, you know, there have been players who I've gone to bat for in certain circumstances when I've been, uh, you know, uh, reached out to for consulting that have had, you know, great runs of it. And it's always just fun. Like, obviously, I, I, I root for a team just to kind of keep like the, to keep like the the boyish kind of like uh love for the game alive. But I also do root for like players and I root for the game to become more efficient and all that kind of stuff. So um that was like my first one and I that that's always the one that will stick with me and 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 I'll sort
0: of remember that forever. Absolutely. That is awesome. All I can say about that is one, it's very cool and two Man, you know, you know the agent got a commission, you know the manager got a commission, all these people. I feel I like Eric needs to get a little kickback from this extension from that player since that's his war number that he sent over to the Falcons clearly made a difference. So, Kinger, I'll, I'll let you get in there with some NFL questions cuz I'm sure you've got some.
1: Yeah, actually, I'm going to shy away from the NFL for now, Kelly, oh. because I want to ask Eric a little bit more about it, about his background because I, I, my apologies to any of our previous guests, but I believe he might be the first college athlete that we have had on the show. So, I want to talk to him a little or ask him about that experience, Eric. So, coming out of high school, obviously playing D2 football, you were a well respected, you had some talent in, in high school. Did you enjoy your experience playing at Minnesota State?
2: I did. I really I really did enjoy being a teammate. That was always I like it, it's so so playing college football, especially at lower levels, is just different. And the way I'll say it is, there the best football experiences I've ever had were playing friday night in high school in front of the fans wearing the jersey at school at a, you know at lunch and you know um you know, da- you know dating the cheerleader like all that kind of stuff was like so much more like so much more um uh yeah like like it was such a more such a more invigorating experience college football was 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 a goal that i think a lot of folks have and you know, when you're not playing like elite level football, like I got to play at the Metrodome, you know, I grew up in Minnesota watching the Vikings. Like, so it was cool there. I caught my, my career high in catches in a game was at the Metrodome, which was really fun, but like a one o'clock game in, at a small, like a campus of 700, 7,500 students, um, where it's not all that full is not really that cool. If that makes sense. Um, and so I'll always like more cherish the high school part, but you know, the, the thing that I loved about college football is, you know, you travel in the buses and you, you know, like both met, both of the tackles that I played next to, like I, I tutored them in math so that they could be eligible. So we were like, brother, you know, like, it's just that whole thing where, or even like when I found out that I was scoring well enough in tests and stuff that I was going to get into the grad schools that I wanted to. um And and, and so um. And so I, um, I, even then, and I'm like, I'm not that good at football. I'm not really getting the ball a ton. I, you know, I'm mostly a blocker. And, but even that like little bit of, oh, but Matt and Aaron are like my two best friends on the team. They're the captains and they need me to get this block on this, on this, uh, on this power play, you know, and there's not really a good enough tight end beneath me to actually play. And so I feel like in life, you know, you have, situations where you're the superstar and you have situations in life where you're not right. You have to take a, a supporting role in, in work or, or in situations. And I think sports are like sort of this perfect microcosm for that. Whereas like, you know, in some, like my, my high school basketball team had five division one players. So like I was a on the, I was off the bench guy. And it's so like, you just like learn all these, like these little things about life, like how to be as, how to take how to be a leader, how to be a supporting person, how to be, and and I feel like that was like the thing I took from football, which was that there were so many like life lessons that you learn in the evolution of your career on the football field. And, and there are situations much like my senior year where I was like, I have, you know, I have a future in something other than football, but I have to play these games for my friends for whom this means a lot more, you know? And so that, that, that I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't necessarily what it, what was it was all cracked up to be and um and yet at the same time like I have friends that you know my my our quarterback just made the our college's hall of fame this week and it was so much fun to see him there and and you still like have that camaraderie and that brotherhood that I think is is difficult to match.
1: Well to start you tutoring your buddies that sounds like Kelly and our friends tutored me <laughs> through algebra and trig one in college. Took me three times to pass that but I think that's an amazing perspective, Eric. Um you know a lot of almost all high school athletes, they have some sort of dream to to play college sports. I obviously didn't have that ability, but to really paint that picture and the lessons that you learn, the teammates, doing it for others, yourself, I mean, I, I think that you got as much out of it as you possibly could or you approached it the right way. And so I'm going to transition to one final question. I know Kelly said that that you are a, a fan of Nebraska football. Our teams are playing this week. Is that correct, Eric?
2: I, I went to Nebraska for my Ph.D. I – I will say that at the time, so the other part about being a college football player and is that you aren't really, it's not really that possible to be a fan of college football because, mm-hmm. you know, you you wake up in the morning, your games are at one o'clock. So you're playing video games or, you know, dice or something with your, your pals. So you're not really watching the pregame shows. You go play, you go out to dinner with your parents because they came up from out of town to see you. So by the time, and then you go take a nap So by the time, like you're actually ready to like watch college football, I watched a lot of Hawaii and Timmy Chang (laughs) back when I was in college, but that was like the, 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 the extent of it really. And so I, so when I got to Nebraska, I looked around and I was like, Oh my God, like I don't, I can't match this intensity. Like they're they're you know, and this was back in 08 when Bo Pelini Mm -hmm. took over for Bill Callahan. So they were like, still kind of thinking the tom osborne days were possible and so they were really and they they were pretty good they played in a big to, big 12 title game and then we moved to the big 10 and halfway through my time there and you know we played in the big 10 title game against wisconsin in the jet sweep game and got killed and so like and it's just kind of gone downhill from there i, I learned to like them more than when i was there just because when i was there i just felt like an imposter like i i was a fan but like I didn't grow up there and I didn't necessarily feel the affection that everybody else had getting some distance like I watch them every week I root for them um but it's not something where I'm like you know living and dying off results thankfully
1: okay well maybe poor research then on my part but I I was just going to ask you I mean what are your thoughts on Matt rule do you think he has the potential to bring Nebraska back to the upper echelon of college football
2: yeah I Upper echelon of college football is tough. Like, I think that Nebraska's problem is that they have Big 12 athleticism and then, like, sorry, Big 12 size and and toughness and Big 10 athleticism. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I never feel like they're the right size or speed for the games that they're playing. And so, you know, 30 years ago, you know, you could get, you know, young linemen to come to Nebraska with the promise of eventually being able to play in the pros. But nowadays, I mean, I'm watching, you know, on the TV on the side here, it's like UTEP versus Sam Houston, right? And you're like, shit, like if I if I can't go and start at Nebraska, then I'm gonna play at Sam Houston. And like that was like the depth and the, you know, when when Scott Frost took over that he wanted to do like the walk-on group, like when he was there and they were winning championships, it's just like Nebraska, you gotta wake up and realize that this, this, uh, this, this world of college football is way different than back when you were winning. So uh, I think he's got a shot to make them competitive again. I think the big Ten is vulnerable. so you know other than and me you know maybe we might see a regime shift in Michigan too now with all the, the things that are coming out. like I think that there's possibility it's possible Uh I'm, I, I'm hopeful, but I don't necessarily know um, if if they can reclaim like national championship aspirations the same way they did
0: in the 90s. I couldn't agree more with Eric's assessment there of Nebraska. I do think, you know, 9-10 wins in any given year, maybe not every year, but any given year is absolutely on the table for a program like Nebraska. The 11-12 wins contending for a national title every year. I'm just not sure it's in the cards, and I know that rubs Nebraska fans the wrong way, but it's the way I feel, and I think Matt Rule is a really good coach. He's turned programs around, and I think he can and will do it at nebraska eric i could go on for for an hour just asking questions about various things at sumer or stories about tage or whatever it is but i know (laughs) i know we've got we've got a little bit of a timeline here so we want to try to stay on track final thing i'll say about this before a quick transition is i don't know if you've been seeing bill Connolly's recently started posting his kind of all college football power ratings he's got fbs fcs d2 d3 naia so i quickly looked it up here your uh minnesota state squad here uh eric they are number 228 out of 760 programs that are playing college football so hey that's that, there's something you know you're at the you're at the upper edge there it looks like of d2 at least as things stand currently in uh, in the power rating world so uh something to keep an eye on that i've really enjoyed seeing bill put out every single week king Eric talked about, okay, so he went to Minnesota State. He's a fan of Nebraska. Everyone's got their teams. Everyone's got their schools. And, yeah, you can go to the bookstore when you're on campus and you're going to a game or whatever. But if you're not on campus, if you're not at the bookstore, like where can people go to get their favorite schools apparel?
1: Oh, you got to go check out Homefield Kelly. And especially for the Big Ten fans, the Midwest part of the country, they're aligned with so many of our teams out there. We've got a promo code for everyone. First-time buyers using code Variety Sports get 15% off. As we wind it back towards the back third of the college football season, make sure you get your gear restocked, get yourself looking fresh and fly. Go check out home field apparel.
0: Back third of the college football season, King. It's depressing, but you're, you're right. Like, hey, let's get locked in. Let's not take any Saturdays off. No weddings, nothing. It's like, guys, we only have a couple more weeks of this. We're in the dog days of it. I'm sitting here at, you know, three o'clock in the morning, doing my notes for these shows. And I'm like, gosh, man, I got to get some sleep. And then I hit myself in the face and say, no, like, Keep going because in a month and a half, you'll be wishing you were staying up till three in the morning doing this because college football will be over. And it is a long time from January 9th or 10th or whatever it is this year until Labor Day of 2024. So let's stay locked in. Let's keep enjoying it. We've got a good slate here and let's dive right into it. Eric, as we always do, King King picks a game. I pick a game. We let our fans pick a game, and then we let the guests pick a game as well. You've picked Marshall at Coastal Carolina. That's where we're going to start. So you wanted this game in the feature lineup. Let's hear about it. What made you want to talk about this game? Who do you like in it? Just break it all down for us. You get to go first.
2: Yeah. I, so I I don't know if you guys like see the bit on Twitter where I you know there are Shanta clears and like oh I know you're a Shanta oh yeah saw, so like I have. I have a, a good friend of mine named Evan Rajan, who was a uh, I played high school basketball with, and he was a goalie at Coastal Carolina. And we were all like in high school, we were all like giving him crap because we're like, that's not a real school. Like you're not, you're not a re- you're not a Division One soccer player. Get out of here. And then like you grow up, and then you realize like not only is Coastal a Division One school, but they have football now, and you're 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 laughing about that. And the first time I literally ever saw Sean To I was like hooked. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is. This is so, and, and college football is so big that, you know, unlike the NFL and I'm a person that like, I grew up, my, my dad's a Vikings fan and, you know, I still have some like feelings towards that team, but I have mostly, you know, through my time of moving, just like picked a new team because I'm an adult and I don't have to like (laughs) root for the team my dad roots for, you know, but I think college football, I think it's like more than acceptable to have multiple. for, for one, like a lot of us go to different schools, right. Um, you know, some of us are commission. you know, like work for a conference, you know, and like all this stuff. And so like, I'm like, okay, I'm collecting teams that I like think are plucky and I like, and so just a few, like, I like the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. I wish they would have uh, been a yeah. little bit better last night. I'm a fan of, uh, you know, now that Jacksonville state, the, the Gamecocks mm-hmm. are in FF, you know, and I had an FCS model for a long time that was pretty profitable, uh, when I was betting college football, and so, like, I have some of these, um, you know, kind of allegiances. And, like, the shots to me are, like, my favorite one. Like, you go from, like, the turf to, you know, the fact that Grayson McCall. Like, Grayson McCall is, like, a pre-pandemic college football player. Like, that's the other crazy part is, like, there's, like, maybe, what, like, a hundred, couple hundred players who played before COVID. Mm-hmm. And you're, like, and he's still here. Like, I, for anybody who loved the movie Van Wilder, it's, like, such, like, you know, great. You know, so so great there. And what I also like about the de now is like during the the Chadwell days, right? Like so early on, like my first like favorite victory for Coastal was during the pandemic year. It also was because I was, you know, my my betting partner and I, Ben, were winning like a are winning one of those millie maker DFS tournaments in, in the college slate that day. But like the last gate, the last game of that of that slate was this made up game between Coastal and BYU. Oh yes, and. And Coastal, like, goes and stands tall and beats Zach Wilson. And I'm like – and then for a couple of years, it got weird because they were favored in every game. And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, this isn't as fun. And then, of course, Chadwell leaves He goes, I think, to Liberty, uh played last night to beat the uh, the, the Hilltoppers. And now Coastal's an underdog again. So they went outright right as an underdog a few weeks ago. They're four-point dogs here, at least last time I looked, against Marshall. Um, The total is 45, which means they're giving a lot of respect to Marshall's defense, which has been great for three years now. And I think to myself, like, this is kind of a great game, right? This is going to be a great game against a team that even though they're not as well coached, I think, as they used to be, they're still pretty explosive. And Marshall's a team that has, you know, for my money, the last few years, one of the best defenses in college football and a team that, uh, you know, is very competitive no matter who they play. So I'm pretty excited about this game.
0: Kinger, what about you?
1: Yeah, definitely a good game in the Sun Belt here. And I think the, to start, the key thing to look at in this game is the Grayson McCall injury. He got banged up pretty hard versus Arkansas State last week or got hit hard. It doesn't look right now that he's going to play. So you look at Marshall. This is a team. They come into this game. They're desperate. They need to win. They started the season 4-0. and they're on a two-game skid. They got absolutely dominated on both sides of the ball by James Madison last week. But this is a matchup this week that I actually do think I like them in. I like them in a bounce back this week. So, Coastal Carolina, this is a team that thrives in the passing game. When you you got a guy like Grayson McCall, that's going to be the strength of your offense. But with him out now, they're giving the reins over to senior QB Jarrett Guest. This is a guy who's seen some game action over the last few years, but there's not a lot of tape on him. He's been up and down, not a great completion percentage, but this year, four or five, uh, we'll see how he steps in in this position in this position in this game, but this is Marshall defense, as Eric just said. This is a strength of this team. They come in ranked twenty fourth in the country, only allowing one hundred ninety two yards per game in the passing game. They're currently t for sixteenth in the country with twenty two sacks on the season. I think this is a decent Coastal Carolina Coastal Carolina offensive line. They do got some wide receiver talent. But Marshall's a team, they're physical, they're good at creating takeaways, and I worry about Coastal's ability to get a decent run game going in this one. With that formula that Marshall has of having a good pass rush and a pretty solid secondary, I do think that Coastal Carolina is going to have some struggles on offense this week. And the key for Marshall is really just going to be able to get something going offensively again. The Coastal Carolina defense is not very strong. They have dipped considerably from where they were at the last couple of years. They struggle against the run, 102nd nationally, over 4.5 yards per carry. But Marshall, this is a team that struggled to walk, run the ball at times this year. Rasheen Ali, their star back, he is a stud over five yards per carry. He's questionable this week. He did not play last week. If they get him back this week, it's going to be a big bump for that Marshall offense. And Cam Fancher, the Marshall quarterback, the key for him is just to take care of the ball. So I think Marshall's got enough defensively to make it tough for Coastal Carolina this week. Now they are at home, and with the uncertainty around the quarterback position with Jarrett Guest, you don't exactly know how this game's going to go. But I do think I like Marshall in this one. four. Is a little bit much, but I, I do think they could find a way to win this game by a score this week.
0: The hashtag our shots from Eric back in the 2020 season were just out of control for those that don't know. you got to go back and search those. I absolutely loved seeing it. I remember that that Coastal BYU game, just absolutely phenomenal. That game proved that, hey, we don't need to be making schedules 10 years out. You can schedule a game in a week if you need to and make it happen. Uh, I point to that game all the time for scheduling issues. Guys, for me, okay, I'm not explicitly accounting for the injuries at quarterback or, or anywhere on the field. So just keep that in mind as I'm going. But I have a little bit different take here based on what my model is saying on this game. This game's got a watchability score of 5.5 out of 10. That's pretty darn good, actually, for two teams that come out of the G5 ranks. Uh, the Sun Belt, quite, quite frankly, could be the best G5 conference, uh, not just this year, but moving forward. I'm excited about what this conference has to offer at the G5 level. At 4-3, and three, this has been a somewhat disappointing season so far for my preseason Sun Belt East favorites, Coastal Carolina. Shots have 0.4 fewer wins than my preseason realistic expectations projected through week eight, but they have one two on the bounce. So it's possible things are turning around a bit in Conway. Guys, I actually have Coastal minus three and a half in this game. I know that's like a touchdown difference from the spread and it crosses zero. So I, again, I know we're way out in left it's field. It's got to be the McCall injury, Kelly. It, but it's is McCall be. really worth seven points? Like To me, I I, I don't think he is king, but... But yes, that that could be, or that could be, it is playing a factor. I'm just not sure that that the market is necessarily accurate on really either of these teams. Maybe I'm too high on Coastal, maybe I'm too low on Marshall, but I think there's some sort of combination of of factors here. It's a 59% win expectancy for the Shants. Coastal is currently number 76 in my power ratings. They have the number 59 offense, the number 77 defense. Marshall, on the other hand, they started the year 4-0. They rose to as high as number 39 in my most deserving rankings and number 67 in the power ratings. Three consecutive losses here, though, including a pair in conference games. The Herd are now 88 in most deserving and number 81 in the power ratings. The offense is number 95 And King. I know you talked about this defense, and yes, it is the better of the two units. For me, though, they're currently at a season worst, number 60. So my numbers actually do give the, the advantage to Coastal on both sides of the ball here. Plus, as we mentioned, this game is in Conway. I know McCall, I I get it. I'm still just not sure, like at the least I think Coastal covers I don't know. I just think they could win it outright. Guys, Georgia State and Georgia Southern, those are the two favorites in the Sun Belt East by my numbers. The Panthers and Eagles play each other this weekend, though. So the winner of this game here will be uh, primed to really make a move in my updated projected conference standings next week, while the loser will effectively be out of the race. So bottom line, I've got Coastal minus 3.5. It's a 41% chance that Marshall earns their first ever win in this series, guys. It sounds really impressive, right? These two teams have only played once before. It was just last year.
2: One thing, one thing. I know this is a big NFL topic with Sam Howell, but, like, Grayson McCall has kind of done what a lot of quarterbacks struggle with, which is, you know, reducing the rate at which pressures turn into sacks. There's 26% in 2021, 19.4% in 2022, and then this season prior to injury, 16% of pressures were turning into sacks. It's usually a pretty sticky statistic. Uh, Guest is at 35%. Uh, which is just one thing you know he was playing kind of in the end it was this weird thing in the sun Belt last year where um uh where James Madison was not allowed to win the conference but they were better and so like you know so it, there was that end of year stuff where you if you weren't like quite attuned to the rules and like and you didn't write the simulation like like Kelly and we have all of them you kind of were like well why aren't they playing their their true their number one quarterback? In this like meaningful game against jmu and it's like well no that wasn't meaningful because the nf the uh, ncaa had kept them so you got a decent amount of him last year and it was not pretty hopefully he's matured a little bit to deal with um you know some of the pressure and stuff that's probably i i would assume that mccall's probably a bigger hit to the total Uh, i think that thing's probably north of 50 if he's playing i think to your point for the spread Like, I think that that's the argument you have to make is that like no college quarterback is worth a touchdown to the spread. So it's kind of like if you make the game three and a half kind of on a a top down model and the market makes it four on the other side, then there's probably some value still, even if you're not accounting for the quarterback.
0: Definitely could not agree more. And yes, uh, Eric, you talked about James Madison last year. Geez, how about the Dukes this year? Again, year two of their transition period, so still ineligible. They are the best team in the Sunbelt by my numbers. They are, they would be, you know, the the favorite in the East if they were eligible. They are not, as we talked about, Georgia State, Georgia Southern. That's a huge game in the Sunbelt East uh, this week. King, this next game, Man, it is one I am incredibly excited for. You asked for it, so you get to go first. We're out in the Pac-12, and it's a big one. It is Oregon going on the road to play Utah, a Utah team king who they haven't had Cam Rising all year, but it became official this week. They won't have him for the rest of the way.
1: Yeah, but I just want to start out and just give – Massive shout out to Kyle Whittingham and and this Utah program. I mean, they do it differently than a lot of teams do. This is not a flashy program. They always seem to fly under the radar. You said, Kelly, no cam rising all this year, and they just find a way to continue to win football games. And I'll be honest, Utah is a seven-point dog at home this week. That is very, very enticing to me. Now, Oregon, we know how good they are offensively. And one of the big this is going to be their biggest test to date. This is going to be the best defense they've played this year. And the thing that makes the Ducks so good is the fact that they have balance. We know how good Bo Nix has been this year. He's really developing into the guy I think everybody thought he could be. 19 touchdowns, one interception this year. But they also have a very good offensive line and run game that's currently six in the country with over 225 yards per game and six yards per carry. It's very hard to stop the Ducks. But this is a Utah team that should be up to the challenge this week. This front seven may lacking some of the big draft prospects, some of the big names of the past, but they still got a top 15 run defense in the country, allowing under three yards per carry. they been very good at bottling up opposing teams in the backfield. And, and on top of that, they've got a very solid secondary. They've got a good group back there. They do have a little bit of a tendency to give up some big plays. So I think the key to watch for Utah this week is pressure. That O-line for Oregon, very good. As I said, Utah is sixth in the country with 25 sacks. That Oregon offensive line has only given up four this year. That's going to be a big part of Utah's game this week, their ability to get pressure. I think they are going to be able to slow down Oregon in the run game. I think they're physical enough, but they're going to have to get after Nick's. That wide receiver crew for Oregon is very talented. And if they give him time to sit back and pick them apart, it could be a long day for Utes. And so ultimately, that really just describes the type of game that Utah is going to have to play. This is going to have to be a grind-it-down possession game for them because they just don't have the offensive firepower to compete in a shootout. Running the ball is going to be the focus for them. Oregon's ability to get pressure has been very good this year, so being able to slow them down and minimize that with the run game is going to be very important. Bryson Barnes, he's going to have to make some plays in this game, though. That secondary is definitely the weakness of the Ducks. I'm sure they're going to test him, try and make him push the ball down the field. Utah's put up 30-plus points in the last couple of weeks, but this is arguably the best defense they have played all year as well, the exception maybe being Oregon State. That's really the only one that you can really be put in the conversation. So Oregon is definitely the more talented team here, but Utah, they just know how to fight. They know how to win. I believe in Kyle Whittingham. I think this is going to be a close football game. Ultimately, I do think the Ducks find a way to get it done, though.
0: King, you mentioned the line minus seven. Um that's exactly where I have this game, too. This is my number one game of the week. It's got a watchability score of 9.3. My most deserving rankings disagree with the AP poll. That's probably not surprising uh, to to many that that have listened before Uh, as to which team should be ranked higher here. I have Utah number 10 in the most deserving Oregon number 16. Uh, As I said, though, I do agree with Vegas King on who should be favored, including the spread. I have Oregon minus 7. It's a 69% win expectancy for the Ducks. Despite the win against Washington State last week, Oregon actually fell from number 5 to number 9 in my power ratings. That regression due to the defense, falling from number 21 to number 27 the offense actually king improved at least with regard to their ranking they are now a season best number two nationally behind i've got a new number one offense in the country king haven't had them up there all year The LSU Tigers now are number one on the offensive side of the ball for the first time. The timing could not be better for this Bo Nix-led offense to be peaking because, King, as you mentioned, based on my current numbers, at number 10 nationally, the Utah defense is the best opposing defense that the Ducks will play all season. For as good as that Utah defense has been, though, the offense has struggled this year. It is understandable, given we've had no Cam Rising. But nevertheless, I mean, I I expected this offense projected them number 12 coming into the year with Cam Rising. Okay, without Cam Rising, maybe they're, you know, around number 30-ish. I I don't know, maybe maybe 35, certainly not lower than 40. This unit is now number 9 in the Pac-12, number 52 in the nation. They just haven't got it figured out on the offensive side of the ball without Rising this year. The Utes are number 21 overall. Rice Eccles is one of the best home fields in all the country. Um, Shout out to my guy, Brett Gibbons, who turned me on to this. Guys, the last time Utah lost a game at home that wasn't in the weird 2020 COVID year, 2018. It's been five years since Utah lost a game at home that wasn't in, again, the the weird 2020 COVID season. So that is no joke of a stadium there in Salt Lake to go into. I think it's a 1.30 kick, if I'm not mistaken, there on mountain time. So it's not going to be prime time or anything, but still, Tough place to play. My numbers do give Oregon the edge on both sides of the ball in this one, though. The winner of this game will have the second best chance to make it to Las Vegas. If Oregon loses, they're still squarely in the mix based on you know how strong this team is projected to be in terms of their overall talent. A loss, though, all but eliminates the Utes based on my current numbers. Oregon also needs this game to stay in the CFP hunt, guys. A win would give the Ducks a 22% chance to make the Final Four based on my current numbers. A loss. Well, that's your second of the season. We've yet to see a two-loss team make the four-team college football playoff. Bottom line: I've got Oregon minus seven. It's a thirty-one percent chance that Utah moves to a very impressive four and one in conference play. If you would have told Utah fans, "Hey, after the Oregon game, you're gonna have one loss on the year, before and one in conference," and Cam Rising hasn't played all year, I think they would have taken that in a heartbeat. Eric, what do you think about this game?
2: Yeah, I think I think you guys broke it down really well. Um, you know, I've been impressed with Nick's. Uh, in Oregon, obviously, you know, I, I also think from a coaching standpoint, they do a really good job with in-game decisions. It kind of came up and bit them against Washington, but I think that they would do the same thing again. um The one thing that's interesting about Utah, everything you said is true. Like they, without rising, it's been tough for them. And also, like you know, when I think about the Utah, you know, uh Utah, the last like you know three four years, I think about Tavian Thomas, I think about T.J. pleasure and like. They're running that game now. I mean, Jackson right now is, you know, 5.2 yards of carry, 451 yards. Um, no one else over 300 yards. They've done some of this winning as well without, like, the the, the power running game, you know, uh, type of, like, uh, you know, dominance that, you know, in the past when they were without a quarterback, I could have trusted them even more. So, what they're doing, like, as far as winning in USC and things, like, it, is still incredibly bizarre to me. So, Uh, I think, you know, obviously hats off to to their coaching staff and and everything. But I do think in this particular one, um, with the home field advantage all understood, I do think Oregon is just going to be too strong here uh, for the Utes in this particular game, despite the fact that they've had a very impressive season, all all things given.
0: Could not agree more and King. I want to go back to your first point, Kyle Whittingham. Gosh, what a coach, and he's been there for such a long time. So if anyone can do it, it is Utah at home. There's just something about that fortress of Rice-Eccles, but it is a tough task this week for the Utes for sure. Guys, this next game, I asked for it. Um, so I'll go first here. We have got uh, Duke going on the road to Louisville. If you would have told me in you know late August that Duke at Louisville in week nine is going to be a huge game in the ACC From the Louisville side, I think I could have bought it because we talked about King in the preseason, just how easy their schedule was. Second easiest schedule in all Power 5. Only Boston College had an easier schedule based on preseason numbers in Louisville. But I just wasn't sold on Duke. I know they had a good year last year. They overachieved. Man, this is a huge game. Last week, guys, Duke had the third best odds to make the ACC championship game by my numbers. The Blue Devils then went on to lose to conference favorite Florida State they are now the team with the second best odds to make the ACC championship game. So they lost and moved up. That, of course, is due to North Carolina just laying an absolute egg, losing a shocker. I think I had by 24 points against Virginia last week. The Cavs pull the outright upset. Now Duke, number two in the chances to make it to Charlotte. This game has a watchability score of 8.6. It's my number two game of the week. My only complaint is it's on at the same time as Utah, Oregon, so I can't give it the main screen, at least for the first half, but it will be on my number two screen, that is for sure. My numbers have Duke minus one in this game. I think Louisville's currently the Vegas favorite, guys. I'm going Duke. Listen, this could be a Grayson McCall thing again with the, with the Le Leonard injury at quarterback. I'm still just not sold on this Louisville team from a power rating standpoint. It's a 54% win expectancy for Duke. Duke's power rating has been upgraded 9.2 points since the preseason. Only Oklahoma has experienced a larger in-season improvement in my model this year. At number 20, this is the highest I've had Duke Power rated all season. They've risen 30 spots since the preseason. That's number three nationally behind only Air Force and Rutgers who have each moved up 31 spots. The offense is top 30, but it's the defense that's been the most impressive, guys. This Blue Devil defense currently ranks number 16 in the country. You don't need Riley Leonard on the defensive side. I think this defense will travel and play very, very well. Louisville was off last week. And I could argue that it couldn't have come at a better time for the Cardinals to refocus following what was really a shock loss at Pitt the week before. This is a balanced team. They have the number 23 defense, the number 28 offense. Uh, They have the number 28 overall power rating ranking. I mentioned earlier that Duke currently has the second best chance to make it to the ACC championship game. Louisville can reassume that position, a position that they held for about a month earlier this season, with a win in the game this week. The winner will have a 50-50 chance to play in Charlotte, while the loser will have somewhere between a 10-15% and chance. The stakes don't get much higher for a game in October, guys. Bottom line, I've got Duke minus one. It's a 54% chance that Duke earns their first ever win against Louisville. How about that? Last year, Duke was looking for their first ever win against Florida State. They didn't get it. They dropped to 0-20 all time against the Seminoles. Now, they're trying to get their first win against the Cardinals. The Cardinals are currently 3-0 and against Duke. So, not nearly as much of a history here. But, Duke, nevertheless, looking for that first win in this series. Eric, let's come to you next on this one. What do you think?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm a, I might be a little different, and when I, I'm referencing my model, but it's basically the model that I built for PFF all those years, and so, you know, any updates notwithstanding, like, I, 4. 7 and 4.7 and 47.8 is kind of what we would make the game. Um, so, you know, the quarterback, I, I do think that there's a little bit in the in the way of the quarterback that's pushing this, um, but also, like, you know, Duke almost beat Notre Dame, um, whereas Louisville, like, actually, like, kind of, you know, uh, kind of did it and like from a from a perspective of like offense you know Louisville it, when, in the passing game is 0.15 EPA per play uh, 0.08 in the running game that's better than Duke in both situations 0.03 and 0.10 it's not bad offense from Duke but just not as good as Louisville so I, I just from a numbers perspective look at this game and I do think Louisville should have a little bit of an edge here Um but at the same time like you know this has been a wacky conference and this has been to your point like we also, because of the nature of college football, a lot of times, you know, the, you can throw familiarity out the door, even though it's an it's an interconference game. So, I, I, I'm i excited
0: for the variance in this one. It's going to be great. Kinger, what about you, man?
1: Yeah, I like Duke and the points initially on this, but I do say Duke's been in a lot of battles this year. This is another tough road game for them. You know, coming off what had to have been a little bit of a debilitating loss last week, getting up, jumping up on Florida State like they did early, and then it kind of fall apart. So, Getting the team back up for another tough road game, I I believe in Mike Elko to do it, but there is some concern in there with taking the points. And Brom, Kelly, you mentioned the schedule. It has not been difficult, but Louisville's had a very successful first season under Jeff Brom Mm -hmm. thus far, and Duke has really struggled in the passing game. Riley Leonard coming back last week, he did get hurt again, but thought it would be a little bit of a boost. That was not the case. Two quarterbacks combined last week, 8 of 22 for just 76 yards. Louisville, they come into this game with a top 15 run defense. The way to attack the Cardinal has been through the air. Louisville sits right around FBS average in a lot of major defensive categories through the game. This is a Duke team that's primarily going to run the ball. But I do think they are going to have to get something through the air this week. One stat that I did think, Louisville is great at getting pressure on the quarterback. Haven't converted to a ton of sacks, but they are number one in pressure rate in the country. And I think defensively, this is going to be a tough battle for them. You talked about that run game. They are good at stopping it. the big question mark for me is Jack Plummer at QB. He's a guy that I've seen at Purdue previously at Mm -hmm. Cal. I still am not a firm believer in him and his ability to lead this team. I don't think he's an elite quarterback. I think he's good enough to get the job done. But this is a good Duke defense, like we said. Now, Louisville does have some good re- receiving threats. Jamari Thrash, this is a deep threat guy, over 16 yards per catch this year, six touchdowns. Jeff Brom's going to take his shots. but. This is a week that could be a letdown. Four-point favorite at home. You'd expect Louisville to win coming off the bye, but Brahms struggled historically a little bit off the bye, and this screams like it could be a letdown game for Louisville. So I like the points with Duke. I haven't fully bet it yet, but that's one I'm taking a look at here as we approach the weekend.
0: It's going to be a very good one, a huge one that's going to shape that ACC uh, conference championship race. The only other game left on the schedule in the ACC regular season that has the kind of this much leverage, if you will, with a conference championship game is North Carolina Duke, which comes up here in a couple weeks. So Duke really needs this one. They need that one as well. Guys, those are the games that we pulled out of the slate to really dive deep into. As we always do this year, we put it out to a Twitter poll. What other game do the fans want to hear, or do our listeners want to hear about? The game that won, I'm excited about it. It is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. We've got Georgia against Florida. Eric, as our guest, we give you the honors. We'll let you break it down first. What do you make of this great rivalry game?
2: Yeah, this one's interesting. Uh looks like Florida's getting uh, a little bit more than two touchdowns. Uh, they've been, you know, this season, it's been. You know, you, you had the excitement of Anthony Richardson last year. Quarterbacks for for Florida this year, just 2.81% of their passes are, are have been deemed big-time throws by PFF. A, a little bit over 1% is turnover-worthy, so they've really kind of confined the passing game a little bit there, whereas Georgia, you know, is more like 4% big-time throw, 2% turnover-worthy play. Um, you know, obviously, Georgia has had a difficult time uh at times this year and and more defensively than offensively uh despite playing uh according to pff 112 most difficult schedule uh so far um you know every single week i wonder if it's going to be the week that they like slip up and lose i you know uh, they're only one five and one against the spread this year so it, it is interesting um especially you know with with all of the the spotlight on michigan who i do think is like college football's best team this year uh, i'm interested to see like can georgia get up for you know what is amounting to a run towards the third national title in a row um where you know florida has been kind of plucky this year even though you know they don't have the star talent obviously that they've had uh you know a season ago so uh, i it's interesting i i would have to take florida against the spread if 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 i had to, if i had to choose here um but mostly that's a fate of georgia right now
0: tell you what king i'm coming to you next you think uh if they can get through florida i think that kick in the butt that spur is going to be coming from the college football selection committee because while the ap has had no problems keeping georgia number one i will be shocked if the committee has them number one next week just based on what their resume looks like so far it's not because they don't think georgia is the best team so that i think could be the shot in the arm that kirby smart's going to put up on the bulletin board but king before we get to that what do you make of this game against florida
1: Yeah, I've placed two bets this week thus far, Kelly, and Florida plus 14.5 is one of them. I think I saw a stat on Twitter earlier. I did see a stat on Twitter earlier today where I think it is Florida has never won this game as a double-digit underdog outright. It might have been 14 was the line. No one go fact check me on that, but it was something along those lines. So the the chance that the Gators win this game based on historic history here is not looking good. But Eric talked about that Florida offense, and that Florida passing offense in particular. That's really been the most surprising thing this year, I think, for a lot of people. Billy Napier, a guy that's known to like to run the ball. Graham Mertz, really surprising a lot of folks this year. He got dumped on heavy at, at Wisconsin for his performances, but he's been very quiet ultra quietly ultra efficient this year he's completing 76 percent of his passes 12 touchdowns and two interceptions i can't say i'm entirely surprised to see that this is not a florida team that's going to take the deep shots like eric mentioned but there is still a lot of talent with him and, and it's shown that the change of scenery was definitely beneficial needed for him and so i do think that this florida offense does a little bit of a tough matchup for this Georgia defense because you look at Georgia some of the weaknesses is their ability to generate pass rush and create turnovers Georgia is currently sitting 108th nationally with only 12 sacks on on the year only generated 10 turnovers Florida offensive line they've been a little bit shaky at times we saw how atrocious they were and what happened to them earlier this year week one at Florida but those are two areas that Georgia has struggled with and if offensive line and opportunity just for some improvement this week against a formidable foe and so, with that style that Florida likes to run their offense, slow you down, balance, if they give Mert some time, I think Florida does have the skill position players to score on this Georgia defense. Now, the scary thing about Florida to me is that run game is still a little bit of work in progress. They're a little bit up over four yards for Gary, but they've not excelled. Georgia's still very good against the run. They might lack, again, some of that star power that had in the front seven previously, but I think they make it tough on Florida to run the ball this week. Flipping it over. Stopping the Georgia passing game is going to be key for the Gators. I was on record in the preseason saying I liked Florida's defense. This is still a top 20 unit in total defense, but there still are some holes. I can't say that was my best prediction. Georgia comes in with the top five passing offense. No, Brock Bowers is a massive blow, but Carson Beck has shown he's been able to beat teams through the air. So Georgia, one thing I look at, they have relied heavily on explosive plays in the passing game. Florida has been pretty good at stopping him, but they have let up some big plays in the passing game. There have been some significant 30, 40-plus yard gains on the Gators this year. That's an area that I look for Georgia to, again, try and tack the ball down the field. So World's largest cocktail party, as you said. I'll be having a couple cocktails during this game as well, Kelly. This is one of the best rivalries in this game. I am all lord all over Florida keeping this close, but ultimately I do think that streak is going to continue for the Gator on the losses. They are as the major dogs. I'm taking Georgia to win the game.
0: I love this game, guys. It is one of only three regular season games that I wholeheartedly support taking place at a neutral site, along with Army-Navy and, of course, Texas-Oklahoma, the Red River shootout at the Texas State Fair there in the Cotton Bowl. This game has a watchability score of 7.8. Given the rivalry nature of this, I'd personally give it a higher score. The main reason it's being downgraded here is because of the projected competitiveness component of that formula. Guys, I'm right in line with Vegas on this one. Uh, I know I haven't been on some of the others. This one I am. I've got Georgia minus 14 and a half. It's an 84% win expectancy for the Dogs. At number 10, this is the lowest I've had Georgia power rated since 2016. That was Kirby's first year in Athens. The Dogs have been downgraded 7.2 points since the preseason, the fifth most nationally. But as I've said over and over here, Georgia doesn't have to be better than the 2021 and 2022 versions of itself. It only has to be better than the teams on its schedule in 2023. And that's exactly how my model views the dogs, making them a favor a favorite of at least a field goal in every remaining regular season game. With both teams coming out of their off week, neither team has the rest advantage here. But Georgia should have the edge on both sides of the ball with the number seven offense and the number nine defense. Based on my current numbers, guys, this is the best opposing defense that Florida will face all season. No surprise there. Georgia always has a good defense under Kirby Smart. The Gators are number 33 overall with the number 56 defense king. I had them number 46 to start the year. They fall into 56 for me, kind of in my efficiency numbers. Uh, They're a season best, though, number 23 on offense. Georgia currently has an 80% chance to win the East, a 43% chance to make the CFP. With a win, those chances improve to 85% and 49% respectively. A loss only drops Georgia to a 60% chance to make it to Atlanta, but the Dogs would have just a 13% chance to make the CFP. I am not implying that if Georgia finishes 12-1 and as SEC champs that the committee will keep them out as two-time defending national champions. I am implying that my numbers suggest perhaps the committee should keep them out if they do not run the table against the schedule that they've played, or if they're not 12-0 going into the SEC championship game against presumably Alabama. A win for Florida sees their chances to win the East improve from 1% to 16%, so it is still going to be a long shot, but a win does keep Florida in this thing. Bottom line, I have Georgia minus 14 and half. It's a 16% chance that Florida stays in the SEC East race. Guys, those are our feature games. We are coming up quickly on a deadline that we have uh, to wrap this thing up. So we are going to jump into a rapid fire, as we always do. We do the ESPN Pick'Em competition. Rapid fire these games. Eric, we're looking for your straight-up winner. No spreads, just who's going to win this game outright. Confidence points, 1 to 10. 1's your least, 10's your most. We're going to start with a game that we already broke down here. We've got Duke going to Louisville. Who do you like, Eric, and how many points?
2: I'm going to give 6 to Louisville.
0: All right, Kinger? Four to Louisville. All right, next game we have Iowa State. What are you taking, Kelly? Oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry. I'm taking Duke with one confidence point. I talked about earlier. That's what my model says. I'm sticking to the model here, King. I know it drives you nuts. That's what I'm doing. Give me Duke for one confidence point. Guys, this next game, we've got Iowa State going on the road to Baylor. Uh, Eric, what do you think here?
2: I'm going to give two to Baylor.
0: All right, Kinger? I'm on the Cyclones for one. I'm going to join King on Iowa State 4-5. mac guys. I absolutely love it. It's coming up to that time of the year. A lot of the Mac is off this week as they get ready to transition to their Tuesday and Wednesday nights beginning next week. We've got the Battle of the Bricks, though, on Saturday. Miami going on the road to Ohio. Eric, who do you like? I'm
1: going to give eight to Ohio.
0: All right, Kinger?
1: I'm giving 10 to your Ohio Bobcats, Kelly.
0: hey I'm going to join you guys on my Ohio Bobcats here. Uh, I'm going to be less confident, though, than both of you. I'm taking OU for two points. Here is the game that we had to talk about, guys. Even if it wasn't in a pick we had to talk about it, given our college allegiances. Purdue hitting the road to Lincoln. Eric, what do you think? Purdue got any chance here, or are you going with Nebraska?
2: I'm taking Nebraska with one.
0: Kinger?
1: I'm taking Nebraska with three.
0: Did I hear you right, King? You're taking Nebraska in the game?
1: Yeah, I've learned your strategy. You like when I pick Purdue no matter what because it just gives you free points. So we're we're, we're we're switching it up a little bit in the future. I finally, after two years, got your mind game.
0: All right, dude. Hey, more power too. He's taking Nebraska. I'm going to join both of you on Nebraska, King. I'm going to join you on the confidence points. Give me Nebraska for three. Another game that we broke down, guys, out in the Pac-12, the best game of the day, the best game of the week by my numbers, Oregon on the road at Utah. Eric, who do you like?
2: I'm going to take Oregon with seven.
0: Kinger?
1: Oregon
2: with
0: five. I am going to join you both on Oregon, and Eric, I will match you and take the Ducks with seven confidence points. Out in the Mountain West, it's been a crazy Mountain West. Air Force is basically just cruising, and everyone else is kind of struggling. Who's going to end up in that number two spot? we got a couple contenders here. How about Wyoming at Boise State, Eric?
2: I'm going to take Boise State with four.
0: All right, King.
1: I'm taking Wyoming with six.
0: This will be two games in a row that I'm going to take the same team and confidence points as Eric. Give me the Broncos, and I'm going to take them for four confidence points. We already talked about one SEC East game, the Florida-Georgia game. How about this one, though? Tennessee hitting the road to Lexington to play Kentucky, Eric.
2: I got three with Tennessee. Kinger? Two with Tennessee.
0: I'll join you guys on Tennessee, and I'm going to be a little bit more confident. Give me the volunteers for nine confidence points in this one. In the Sun Belt, we talked about the, sh- the chance earlier, but now we're talking about Troy at Texas State. Texas State's been a huge surprise team this year, much better, especially on the defensive side of the ball, than my numbers projected. Eric, who do you like in this one, Troy and Texas State?
2: I'm going to take the Trojans for five. I know Texas State has been very
0: good this year, but uh going Troy. All right, King? Troy with eight. All right. I, I'm going to join you guys here. Not a lot of mix up on this one, at least as we've gotten later in the pick em. I'm going to join you guys on Troy and King. I'll match you on points. Give me the Trojans for eight. great year for Texas State. Not sure they have enough to get it done this weekend at home. Out in the Pac-12, Oregon State going on the road to Arizona. An Arizona team that, guys, is a really improved since making the change at quarterback. Out of necessity, Deloria gets hurt. New quarterback comes in. Arizona looks like a new team at this point, Eric.
2: Yeah, but I'm going to take Oregon State for the full ten. I think uh, that team uh, is is special, um, and I think that they I think they get it done this week.
0: All right, King. What about you? Yeah, crazy things
1: have happened out in Tucson, <laughs> as you've mentioned, Kelly. But I'm also confident Oregon State. Give me them for seven confidence points.
0: Lots of things get weird, especially late night. This is a late night game. I think it's like a 10, 10, 30 kick. Uh, number three game of the week for me. It'll be on the main screen. I'll be up till the very end, as we always are. It has been a good turnaround for Arizona. I still think Oregon State, I called it in the preseason. Others did too. I'm saying it now. They are still a sleeper in the Pac-12. Give me Oregon State for six confidence points. Our final game, guys, back out in the Mountain West. UNLV going to Fresno State. Both of these teams still in the mix for a spot in the championship game. Eric, who do you like?
2: Yeah, I'm going to take Fresno for nine. I know you, and LB, had a good year, but uh, I think it ends here.
1: Kinger, what about you? I'll join Eric with nine confidence points on Fresno State.
0: I'm going to join you guys on Fresno State, but I'm actually going to take them for 10 confidence points. So give me the Bulldogs for 10. Eric, I know we are coming right up on time. If you don't mind, though, just take just another minute, plug everything you want to plug. We really appreciate you joining us. Where can our listeners find all of the great work that you're doing, both on social and for Sumer?
2: Yep, um, sumersports.com, sumersports on Twitter, uh, and then in YouTube, at sumersports is where you can find everything.
0: Eric, you are awesome. We really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule. This has been a very fun episode. I've really enjoyed it, King. I know you have as well. Um, Hey, we'll do it again next week. It's going to be great. Until then, this has been the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the BSN Collegiate Network. Until next time, enjoy week nine of the 2023 college football season.